Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to this fine show of ours. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, and all of the books are available Volumes 1 through 9 at Amazon in paperback and ebook. And if you're an audiophile, you can get Volumes 1 through 8 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So have at it, folks. Go out and get yourself a couple of books and show us some support. And by the way, before I bring in my brother tonight, KJ. I'm announcing a winner to the little contest we had a few weeks back. And that winner is Pamela S. S. Pamela S. from, as she said, Middle Tennessee. Pamela S. Oh, from yeah. Middle Tennessee. Kev, come and on I'm going to read her letter, Bill, in the, uh, in the letter section, which is fantastic. So we'll Excellent. have a little bit of suspense here. Yeah, yeah, and she's excellent. She sent us a picture of herself and her husband, uh, said they were both fans, and we got a lot of nice entries, folks. So, uh, you know, if it's not you this time, it may be you the next time. But, Pamela, the rules of the game are these. You had to be listening to this show to hear your name announced, and then you have to send me an email stating your name and address and where I could send the book. So... Hopefully all of those ducks fall in line for you and your hubby. <laughs> and I think you have to say what your favorite color is, too. Yeah, your favorite color. And hopefully you get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and hopefully you get it right according to what we say your favorite color is. <laughs> and also, what is your favorite caliber of ammunition? Include that. <laughs> Just kidding, Pamela. Ah, uh, Kev, how you doing, bro? I'm doing okay, and to our listeners out there, thank you for all of the well wishes, emails, <laughs> but as you can tell by my voice, I assure you I'm okay, or as okay as I <laughs> normally am. Yeah, Kev, I told him you got attacked by a Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, no, you said a dog man. Oh, I'm sorry, a dog man, even worse, something rabid. <laughs> even worse, Yeah. <laughs> But in fact, folks, I was out on the Cape Fear River, aptly named for this episode at least, and I was fishing and catching some beautiful, uh, gigantic red drum fish. But apparently while I was having fun in a 12-hour episode, I got bitten by some type of vermin in the ankle, and my <laughs> ankle blew up like a football. Might have been a dog man, but probably some type of deer fly or something like that, they tell me. Ay, ay, ay. But it was nasty. For about three or four days, I had to lay on my back with my foot in the air, taking antibiotics and taking steroids. It wasn't much fun. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't sound like fun at all. And it's amazing how such a little bugger as a fly or something can send your oh, life yeah. into an uproar. Exactly. Exactly. I did have fun fishing, but I did miss all of you. But luckily, my brother stepped in and did an awesome job. (laughs) And by the way, folks, you know, I announced on my little solo gig that I'm going to be posting some stuff on TikTok. I'm going to do some uh, segmented reads on there because you're only allowed three minutes at a clip. But... uh, 
I'm going to be putting some of them up for your pleasure and hopefully for the pleasure of a couple of other million people. And uh, it should be uh, interesting, to say the least. So I'll let you know. I think, it, I think it, I'm glad to hear, Bill, you're going to read some short segments rather than read the normal segments super fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Oh, wait a minute. You sound a little bit like a Sasquatch. <laughs> Remember cousin It? Yeah. He used to do that. With the derby on his head and the sunglasses. That was good stuff there. So bro, good to have you back and what do you got in store for us today for this cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Oh yeah, we got a we got a good freaky deaky one tonight. And we're we're going back to nineteen eighty. Okay. And in 1980, out in Washington State, there was a huge explosion. You remember what that was? Yeah, Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens, very good. And when Mount St. Helens erupted, it was the equivalent of 1,600 times the size of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima during World War II. Yeah. So unbelievable explosion. And I was out there after the eruption, and it was amazing, to say the least, to see all of these trees blown down for miles. Yeah. Like uh, toothpicks. Yeah, yeah. But tonight, we're not talking about the eruption of a volcano. We're talking Mm -hmm. about the critter that is rumored to come out of the volcano. Wow. Coming out of the volcano? That's what the rumor is. Wow. You'll have to decide at the end of the episode. Do you know who that is? I don't, but I do have an account uh, that, again, like everything else we'll get to eventually, of a guy who was there the morning of the eruption. And uh, this particular guy thought he was going to die. He was miles away from it, but the cloud and everything traveled right over him. And uh, he had a little bit of an encounter with a couple of Bigfoot fleeing the scene. Ooh. And we'll get to well, that. So the rumor of what came out of this volcano or what was disturbed from this volcano, much in the same way that one of my favorite monsters came out of the nuclear reactions in Japan, mm-hmm. Godzilla. Oh, yeah. We all love Godzilla. But this monster is known as Batsquatch. Bat Squatch? Come, yeah, coming bat out of squatch. the volcano? Well, he appeared immediately after the volcano. Isn't that so weird? So a lot of people think he was awakened by the volcano. Wow, freaking Bat Squatch. <laughs> yeah, and do you know, you know Bat Squatch? The well, nine-foot-tall <laughs> creature? <laughs> I hope he was with, accompanied with Robin Squatch. <laughs> Maybe. Nobody did. He did have uh, Batgirl with him. Batgirl. <laughs> no. <laughs> but he's apparently nine feet tall and weighs a couple of thousand pounds, so a beast. Wow. And has piercing yellow eyes, glowing piercing yellow eyes, blue colored dark fur. A wolf-like muzzle and bird-like bat wings. And they span like 40 feet, Bill, which I guess if you weigh a couple of thousand pounds, you better have 40-foot wings. Well, you know, although that would be supportive of of something, that would be like a small airplane's wings. Yeah, absolutely. So something of that width could theoretically support uh, something of that mass, you know, in flight. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, people look at uh, birds, you know, hawks and stuff like that, and they think, oh, their wings are relatively not that big compared to their body. But, you know, they have hollow bones. They're super light. Yeah. You know, if you were ever to pick up a a hawk or or an eagle, they're not that heavy at all for their size. No, it's not like picking up a, a Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah, or picking up a Sasquatch by the yeah, foot. a bat squatch. Exactly. 
Exactly. So uh. there were rumors, maybe uh, this account that you talked about that we'll touch on sometime was something like this, or maybe it was just some Bigfoot that was scared off the mountain by the explosion, which would also be reasonable. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the first documented account, other than rumors of encounters right after the uh, eruption, came in 1994 by a gentleman named Brian Canfield. Mm-hmm. And he was driving in Pierce County in Washington State when his vehicle suddenly stalled out. So I should say, too, that Batsquatch is rumored to be able to have some type of power to make, like, engines stall and things like that, like some kind of energy to it. Yeah, and that happens a lot. Because when he appears, things happen. Yeah, that happens a lot during uh, close encounters with UFOs, street lights, car engines stalling. Uh, weird stuff like that, you know? Well, even look at Skinwalker Ranch when stuff happens. It cuts out the instruments and stuff like that, right? Yeah, all the time. Weird electronic failures, batteries draining that are new and freshly charged, all of that nonsense. Yep. So this gentleman, Brian Campfield, is driving down the highway. His engine starts to sputter, and his vehicle stalls while he's going along. He gets out. He pops open the hood to look inside like any of us would, and suddenly, boom, something lands on the top of his car, and the car, like, squats down while his head is under the hood, and he pulls his head out from under the hood, and he sees this giant creature with, like, its claws scratching the roof of the car, snarling and looking at him like it wanted to kill him. Oh. Yeah. I mean, picture yourself in a guy's situation. I mean, you're, you're freaking, you're, you're two seconds away from a heart attack at that point. Oh, no doubt about it. And he, uh, you know, basically, like, freezes there. And then when he gets his wits about him while this thing's growling at him, he just turns and runs as fast as, as he can. And he never looks back. And when they he got to town and uh, his, the back of his shirt was torn, apparently, and they took him out, back out to his truck, and the roof of it was all scratched up, hmm. like you he know, described it. It's a lot. And by the way, it started. It started right up. Wow, that's weird. And it's a lot like some of the Mothman encounters, uh, right? Chasing as people. A matter of fact, so there is a connection. People believe to Mothman. Okay. You know, not nothing more than that, but like. The weird eyes, you know, the huge wings, um, you know, we, we've never gotten close enough to a Mothman to see what it really looks like, but it could be a small Sasquatch-like thing, if you were thinking that way. Wow, that is right? weird. Yeah, well, yeah, it's hard to say when you haven't seen one for yourself, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Wow, wow. And then in uh, 2009, near Mount Shasta in Northern California, several hikers witnessed a huge creature with leathery bat wings fly out from a crevice in the mountain. And they think it was uh, a uh, bat squatch, based on the description. A a long ways away, right? We're talking uh, a couple of decades after this thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. wow. So something. And then some- a couple of years after that, uh, in June 2011, in the same area, a, a man was out walking his dog and he saw something fly by. And he describes it like this I saw something flying in the sky. It had bat wings, blue fur, and had a face similar, uh, similar to a dog, and its eyes were glowing red. He estimated it to be about nine feet tall, and it, he watched it as it just flew by him. It's, it's really hard to fathom such, a, such a thing happening, you know? Right. <clears throat> you know, go ahead, Kato. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, no. Away. I'm saying that, you know, so I don't have a lot on this, but I did want to mention it because it's one of these cryptids. That people talk about, we've gotten letters about it. Hey, why don't you talk about bat squatch? There's not a ton of detail out there, other than a lot of uh, record or reportings that are of these various sightings. 
but not much more detail than that, unless some of our listeners have seen more. And if you have, send us some uh, notes on it. And if you if you've seen Bat Squatch, definitely uh, drop us a drop us a note. And if you want to talk to us about it, we'll give you a call. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, high strangeness indeed, Bat Squatch. Yeah, and uh, I don't know who coined the frame Bat Squatch, but it's a weird combination. Well, you know, the thing is, it's got these huge bat-like wings. And it looks like a Sasquatch, except for the large, glowing yellow eyes. Yeah, and the dog face. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't quite creepy enough with these giant bat-like wings and Uh, glowing yellow eyes. Let's give it a a dog man snout. Well, you know, uh, let me uh, shift gears here for a second. Two things happened to me as of late, relative to uh, uh, Bigfoot. And uh, one of them was a conversation uh, with an Air Force guy. Now, you know I've spoken about the uh, map I have of the uh, training area, the survival training area in Washington. And... uh, Recently, a former Air Force person, personnel, was telling me that he had been privy to a commander of sorts addressing a group of uh, uh, GIs. He was one of them. And that commander at that time uh, was telling them that these creatures are real and they are in that area and that they should use great caution. Uh, He went on to say, after I guess some questions were breached, that some men had encountered some and uh, they didn't leave it alone and the result was less than favorable. Mm-hmm. And when this commander was asked what happened to them, he said, as I told you, it was less than favorable, something to that effect. So he not only warned them about uh, the creatures being in the area, but he warned them that some others had seen them and apparently had a less than favorable end to their taunting it or chasing it, uh, whatever happened, which he didn't get into. So that was more than a bit interesting to get some confirmation from a different end of things of what basically we already know is true anyway. Yeah. Uh, Another thing a fella told me was that he was on the receiving end of uh, some taunting, you know, rolling of the eyes, uh, reporting uh, or talking about a Sasquatch encounter with his, of all things, his Eggman, the local, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the local guy that has chickens and delivers eggs to people. Well, in the spirit of turnabout being fair play, apparently many months later, the Eggman came to him. And guess what happened? The Eggman came out his back door one day in a few inches of snow and found a huge string of inline giant bear footprints leading off of his property. So, as I always say, you know, it's all fun and games and a laugher until something happens to you. Then all of a sudden it becomes your reality and you have to deal with it like everybody else does. What do you think of that, Kev? Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there you have it. A a run-of-the-mill sighting of tracks on his own property from a guy who was formerly one of the ones laughing it up at somebody else's expense, you know? I'm feeling like I should have an Eggman, though. I don't have an Eggman. Do you, Bill? Maybe you could become the Eggman. Oh. Remember the Beatles? 
I am I the Eggman. <laughs> I am the walrus. Make up your mind. You're either a walrus or an Eggman. Hey, if you can be an Eggman, you can be a walrus. <laughs> <laughs> so that's... Uh, awesome. That's where I was going with that. And uh, I just there's no end to the amount of people when you talk to them uh, that have seen something. Now, before I read my story, I got to say something else here because people are going to be crazy when they hear this. I think I sent you this fella's email, Kev. I'm sure I did. He's a deacon, and his name is Walter. Uh, and I've had a couple of conversations with him. Excellent guy, very knowledgeable. And uh, Walter had originally contacted us, knowing some of the conversations we have in this podcast about the demonic and possession and weird things. And he writes to me and tells me that he was involved in numerous exorcisms. He's a Catholic deacon. Mm. So I contacted Walter and asked him to give me a call. Well, the long and short of it, I kind of asked him, what is some of the more horrific things that you've had seen uh, performing the rite of exorcism? Uh, and he told me of a story. Now, Walter, you're probably listening, and if I botched this up a little bit, forgive me. But Walter said they had a woman who was about 85 years old. Uh, she could hardly walk, and she was deemed by the church to be possessed of a devil. They go through this whole rigmarole, the psychological evaluation and everything. You don't just come in and somebody says, you know, you've got a devil and there's nothing else wrong with you. I mean, unless you spin your head around. Yeah, it's not puking blood, uh, green bar for them. soup on them. Yeah. yeah. And, then and they it, skip to the end of the checklist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, then they get right to it. Right to uh, it. Okay. So they had this lady in uh, restraints in the church. And uh, they started the rite of exorcism over her, the prayers, uh, the sprinkling of the holy water. And the holy water was leaving, like, sizzling cuts on the woman's body. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think of that. Just think of spraying blessed water, splashing blessed water on somebody, and it having that kind of effect on skin. Yeah, that was that was in The Exorcist too, the movie. Well, Same I think thing. I, in The Exorcist they took the liberty of peeling a couple of things off and plugging them in there uh, yeah. that have some legitimacy to them. Oh, yeah. uh, so. The woman breaks free from her restraints. Now, mind you, this is an 85-year-old woman who had a hard time getting in the building. The woman hits the floor and starts slithering. Yes, I did say slithering like a snake around on the floor and flashing her tongue in and out of her mouth like an adder. Picture that. That's and then Walter said her head started to change shape and was like flattening out and broadening like the head of a pit viper or something. Oh, my God. Picture, picture this happening, Kev. I can't. This, it's this is like This is like a real deal. I got, I got chills being a yeah. Catholic deacon was telling you this story. Yeah, and believe me, Kevin, Walter is no man's fool because we've had lengthy conversations about scripture and teachings and uh, all kinds of stuff. And so where was I now? Oh, so she starts slithering around. Now, one of the things they do performing the rite is they want the demon to identify itself. Part of the rite is getting the demon to speak and identify itself. That's part of the battle of getting yep. it out. So they said to the demon, what is your name? And do you know what the demon said? You'll, no. never, you'll never guess this. 
The demon said its name was Stalin. Mm. And after the demon identified itself as being Stalin, as in Joseph Stalin, murderer and butcher of Russia, a couple of other demons started to chime in, saying something to the effect that, ah, he thinks he's freaking tough or scary or whatever. Can you imagine this happening? Mm. So th- there was more than one demon uh, in this possessed woman. Yikes. Yeah, so I just thought I'd bring that up. And Walter, again, I apologize if I butchered any of that at all. Uh, that's why I like to write things down or get things written down. So there's, I, limit, I limit the chance of uh, error in translation, you know. But Bill, uh, we'll talk about it offline. Maybe we can uh, try something out, like having Walter on the podcast. Well, uh, yeah, it might be I interesting mean, if he's willing to do it. Yeah, I mean, we could we could attempt that. But as you know, Kev, I don't know how to get that done. But we, could, I know, I might, I might be able to work it out. Make a few phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tap yeah. Into, tap into some bat squatch energy. <laughs> Maybe your eyes will start blow, glowing uh, amber. <laughs> Bill, Bill, I'm here. Are you ready? <laughs> as long as I don't start slithering around. Yeah, and darting your tongue out of your mouth like an adder. No more than uh, normal, at least. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, I got, I got a pretty crazy account here, and I'm going to get into it. And uh, to me, this account shows you two things. It shows how easily a sighting can be initiated, but to me it also rings of a truth that maybe you shouldn't follow these things or go where they've gone, uh, whether you're hoping to see it or you figure, well, it moved on and we'll be okay. Uh, And this kind of borders on what I just said about the Air Force commander telling the, the guys that, Basically, they should have left well enough alone, and I'm advising you to do so also. This account, uh, or f- this account is of the events which uh, g- given to me by a fellow named Alistair and his wife Marjorie, last name McNabb. Alistair was a transplant from Scotland that was hired by a firm in New Hampshire for his scientific abilities. During his employment, he met and married Marjorie Tennyson, who also has a smidgen of Scott in her ancestry. However, it's actually Alistair's passion for fly fishing that brings us to a story about an area known as the Fitzpatrick Wilderness, adjacent with the Shoshone National Forest. And here's what Alistair and his wife Marjorie had to say. This was to be our fourth fishing adventure in Wyoming. The region contains some of the best fly fishing and wilderness hiking in the world, and its breathtaking country. After our first trip, we had quickly learned that it's well worth your time and money to work with a good outfitter or guide service when you're planning to go in such areas. In most, if not all, situations, you'll need some type of permits, licenses, and the area knowledge of local men or women is a valuable asset which cannot be measured in dollars and cents. This is not the time to be cheap. For the price of a Hawaiian vacation for two, you can be readily supplied with everything and anything you'll need, including a guide. In doing so, you're not only helping yourselves, but you're supporting the industry and people in the region, which help ensure that these resources will be in place for a very long time. We met up with our guide, Joseph, at a predetermined location. He was a slightly built, rugged-looking man who was of pure Arapaho heritage, and his family had been in this region for many generations. We were to hike into and fish in two different areas. The first site that we would fish was named Big Meadows, and the second along the route would be Downs Fork Meadows. 
There's a creek running right through this area, which changes its name periodically as you walk. The only name I can ever remember is Dinwoody, simply because of the name and its European roots. That's Wyoming, and that's why we love it. The area consists of a rocky, mountainous surround with pine forests, grassy meadows, and water. Each time we come to this state, we prospect a new area, so this particular location was brand new for the two of us. We were each given a holstered pistol, and Joseph had a rifle and a pistol as well. This is grizzly country, and there are plenty of visible herd animals and trout as well, which the bears are itching to sink their claws into. So it was to be eyes wide open from here on out. The entire area that we plan to pass through is similar throughout, full of thick grassy meadows and marshy areas surrounded by extremely rugged timber. Rocky, mountainous terrain rises up behind the tree line, with the land's appearance being the same in every direction that you looked. The trip was in no way particularly difficult, and the actual mileage covered was not very far. It was more a casual hike, with most of our time spent focused on catching trout. We hiked in and set up camp on the edge of Big Meadows, from where... From where we were in the timberline, we had a good firm patch of ground on which to pitch a tent, with our camp being within a reasonable walking distance across the meadow for us to reach the creek. Right behind the stretch of forest we had, where we had set up our camp was a small mountain jutting up from the earth across and across from the creek was a lake. During the first two days, we spotted grizzly, coming down across the meadow. It posed no threat to us and was fairly far away each time that we saw it. We also saw a moose grazing on the thick green grass, and I had told Alistair on more than one occasion that having a guide brought a certain sense of stability to us whenever we saw something. Joseph was not by any means flustered by a predator that might have otherwise frightened us to death. He had a mutual respect for the surrounding inhabitants, which is not to say that Joseph was foolhardy or lax in any way. On one afternoon, we were lined up side by side, fishing from the bank of Dinwoody. We all faced in the direction of a small lake, which lay to the northwest. Next to the lake, there was an outcropping of rock butted up against it which appeared like a rugged hill or mound. At most, it was 200 feet tall, which was much smaller than the surrounding mountain slopes. Marjorie and I were standing with our eyes focused on the creek when Joseph said, Look over there, right there by the edge of that hill. Do you see that? We both turned our heads and looked, trying to follow the direction of Joseph's point. He spoke again. Do you see it? It's a hairy man. Now, Marjorie and I were not ignorant of what he was talking about or pointing at. Although neither of us had seen one, we knew that he had been talking about a Bigfoot. As we focused in on the base of the mound, there it was, loping along the edge of the hill adjacent to the marsh. Once we laid eyes on it, it was very easy to observe since it was completely out in the open. It must have come out of the woods that lay a short distance north of our camp. It had to have walked right across the meadow while we were fishing. We hadn't seen it, and yet there it was. I would say it was five or six hundred yards away, and the creature's iconic silhouette was unmistakable. The marsh or meadow area consisted of bright green grass that was about two feet tall, and the grass was especially green along the water's edge where it abutted the rocky outcropping. There were no trees to obscure our view, and the Bigfoot's profile was very dark against the rocky backdrop, since the rocks were beige in color. Its arms swung like a clock, and, as it, took, and it took long and deliberate strides 
walking in a somewhat forward-leaning posture, which was more than evident to the eye. Within two minutes, it was gone, disappearing beyond the bend and out of our view altogether. Pardon a pun, but this was a really big deal for me and my wife. So the rest of the day was spent with the three of us talking around about Bigfoot. Around the campfire that night, Joseph started telling us of Indian folklore that pertained to these hairy men. He had actually personally seen creatures many times, but he was also as surprised as we were to catch sight of one on that particular day. However, it was still just more routine for him than it was for us. During the night, Joseph added that we should keep our eyes out for the hairy men while we were here. He said that throughout history, Indian people experienced and spoke of some really bad things regarding these creatures. Their tribal records mentioned many encounters, including attacks on people, livestock, and even unexplained disappearances. Because of the tone of his voice, we became certain that he was unhappy that this sighting occurred. That evening, I also took note of the fact that he spent a fair amount of time cleaning and prepping his guns. The next day, we packed up and walked to the back of the lake where the Bigfoot had disappeared from view. Joseph said this was an area where we could pick up on Glacier Trail. Without the trail, we would have to trek entirely through the woods to get to the next location. From there, we would make our way north to an area called Downs Fork Meadows. I wouldn't have known the path was even there without a professional like Joseph to guide us. Now, I'd be a liar if I said to you that when we started down this route, things became a whole lot creepier. Not just because of what we had seen, but because this trail area had become quite a bit tighter. Everything had closed in around us. Large stands of timber flanked us on both sides, and some rock walls cropped up here and there, forming what felt like a prison cell. As I remember, it was a curvy trail. At any given point, it was difficult to see far ahead of us. I kept thinking of old westerns, where the Indians would set up an ambush on some unsuspecting cowboys positioning themselves behind some boulders up on a cliff. No offense to Joseph or anyone else. Now, I'm just going to move on a little bit here. So they got to their location through this trail. Now, just so you understand, Joseph's job was not to fish. In fact, we had asked him numerous times to join us with a rod, and he politely declined every time. He would spot for us or get into the creek and help with landing a fish. And he also paid strict attention to other things, like setting up our flies and leaders. In Downs Fork, however, he was seemingly preoccupied with his field glasses. When I asked him about this, he said this was grizzly territory, and it would be best for all of us if he kept watch while we fished. We didn't argue with him. He was our guide, and he knew best. During the latter part of the afternoon... Something let out the loudest, most prolonged howling roar that is humanly imaginable, sounding like a fire department siren. The howl was as intense as you could possibly imagine, and it sounded really close. I looked around. I could see nothing except for thick forest. Truth be told, the sound seemed like it was emanating from all around us, rather than in any particular place. It was the loudest, most enveloping blast of noise that I'd ever heard in my life, and it brought us to a complete standstill. We stood there aghast. Our jaws were hanging open, and Joseph had already brought his rifle to bear. Following his example, we dropped our rods and grabbed our pistols. The sound stopped, and we heard nothing. We held our ground, turning in every direction while not saying a word. It seemed like 15 minutes had passed before Joseph finally broke the silence. 
He turned towards us and whispered, The hairy man is here. I remember thinking to myself that even when holding a gun, one can sometimes feel defenseless. And I had never felt more vulnerable with gun in hand. As far as I was concerned, whatever had made that noise could eat bullets and spit them out again. We had a momentary discussion about the best course of action, and then we started back out the way we came in, working our way through the trees, ambush points, and everything else. This time, we were like jungle fighters, looking around corners with our guns first. We hightailed it all the way back to the camp, and nobody said anything about needing to drink or eat. It was all about moving and moving fast. We must have been about two miles south of Big Meadows when we broke out into an area that felt less secluded. We could see in virtually every direction and had decent visibility. We knew that, like it or not, we would have to spend the night, and this was the place to set camp. When I tell you we had an uneasy night, it's an understatement. Nobody could sleep, and regardless of what my wife and I did, Joseph felt it was his duty to be awake and standing guard. The minutes seemed like hours, and I kept waiting for a bonsai attack, but nothing happened. In the morning, we finally took time to eat. We were all hungry and needed our energy in order to finish the final stretch. To this day, we still send Joseph a Christmas card to let him know we're thinking about him. And as my, for my wife and I, we have not been back to Wyoming in 15 years. At the end of my interview with the McNabs, I told them that they told me that they will only fish in more open and less rural locations from now on, sticking within the confines of a town or a spot near a highway. I asked them what aspects stood out the most about this encounter, and this was what Marjorie said. Nothing could prepare you for the screaming, which seemed like it was coming down from the sky above us. It was so loud, I felt it was hurting me, like some sort of sonic weapon. I know this doesn't make any sense to you, but if a child had been there, I think they would have just curled up in a ball on the ground and started to cry. It was absolutely terrifying and certainly something that we will never, ever forget. The two of us talk regularly about how brave Joseph must be to go back into these areas again and again to earn a living. What do you think of that, Kev? Yikes. Yikes is right. Yeah, man, oh man, that's like serious stuff. And you see how they kept, they went on. And that's why I said that in the beginning. They went on having seen the creature go in the direction they would eventually go. Yeah. And I'm telling you personally, I would not choose that. <laughs> I would not choose no. that option. I'm with you. So, you know, and the fact that this howling, uh, how many times have we heard this howling? And in close quarters, I mean, I, I believe that thing would just rattle the teeth in your head. I'm with you. And you know? by the way, in the listener mail, not that someone wrote in about it, uh, or they did actually, they wrote in and... Uh, Attached that video, Bill. I don't know if you watched it on YouTube, but the guy that was looking for mushrooms and the thing in the background howled. Yeah. Um, did you listen to that? I have not yet, no. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm going to put it on our uh, on our website, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, under this episode, uh, Podcast 116. Okay. And when you listen to this thing, like I expected to hear a coyote, because a lot of people haven't heard a coyote, and when you hear one, you're like, holy cow, what the heck was that? Yeah. Okay, not a coyote, not a yeah. bear, not a wolf. I don't know what the heck it was. Yeah, and neither does he. No. But no. once one could suspect, you know, that's, uh, you know, there's quite a bank of knowledge, recorded knowledge 
being stored up in different places now of Bigfoot recordings, purported Bigfoot recordings. Yeah. And they are they are unique and some of them are being shared and it's becoming like a bank of information, just like the tracks. You know, what is real, what is not, you know. They are unique. Yeah. They sound different. They represent themselves differently on software than other animals. Yeah. And uh, this is what we're up against. You know, more evidence, uh, more compilation of uh, sightings, encounters, and, and sounds. And uh, the, evidentiary, the evidentiary case for Bigfoot goes onward. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Wild stuff, Bill. Yep, yep. Wild. Yeah. So there you have it, the McNabs in mm. uh, the Fitzpatrick Wilderness, Wyoming. Hmm. Crazy, huh? All right. Well, this is an action-packed episode, Bill. We came back from a solo performance with a vengeance. <laughs> <clears throat> so what do we got in our uh, listener mail segment? Yeah, well, first off, we're going to go to the letter from Pamela from Tennessee who won our contest. Bravo, brother. And she wrote in about the Bigfoot Museum in Cherry Log, Georgia. And one of my buddies has been to this and brought me a couple of souvenirs from there. So he loved it, too. So let me read her, uh, her letter. And it's pretty good, both the... Uh, the, uh, about the museum, and then uh, she adds something, a comment related to one of our prior episodes. Okay. <clears throat> so she writes, Hi, I visited the Expedition Bigfoot Museum in Georgia twice, and it's fantastic. Very well done. Professional, great exhibits. My favorite is the Ape Canyon exhibit with a life-size replica of the inside of the cabin where the loggers had been attacked. Remember that one, Bill, with the throwing the boulders on the cabin? Absolutely. Ape Canyon. <laughs> and she says, I'm, a, I'm attaching a link to a picture of my husband and myself there last year. It was a great little day trip to get out of our house during this pandemic, and there is also a glorious barbecue restaurant almost directly across the street. Y'all never turned down Southern barbecue and veggies. I'm with you, Pamela. <laughs> Got to dig on some pig. <laughs> so then she goes on and says, <clears throat> I also wanted to reply about Bigfoot on the $6 million man. That actually did happen in the 70s, and my father was a fan of the show. So much so that he gave me, listen to this, he gave me an action figure of the Bigfoot for my fourth birthday. <laughs> And it scared me so badly, I had <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> my grandmother took it back to the store on the next available day after my party and got another toy. <laughs> my only regret now is that toy may have been valuable now with the current interest in cryptids. And Lord knows I was never going to let that horrific thing out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> And by she the says, way, did take Pam's, care. Oh yeah, go ahead. Did Pam say in the letter? Uh, because I know who played the Bigfoot. Did she mention that in there? Well, we said it on one of our prior episodes, right? It was uh, Andre the Giant. Oh I yeah, think. we did. I the didn't wrestler. know if we did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she says, "Take care. Love the show, Pamela from Middle Tennessee." There you go, man. Good stuff. Well, congratulations, man. Pamela. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. We got some great listeners, you know. All good stuff. Awesome stuff. All right. And we're going to do one more letter this week, Bill, because we're running long, but this is a good one. Okay. And Heather, who doesn't say where she is, but I would say, there is a God and Heather be thy name. <laughs> <laughs> she writes in and says, get well soon, Kev. Hey, KJ, sorry to hear about the foot injury. I look forward to the harrowing tale of survival in the fight against the legendary dog man. <laughs> Maybe you had some help from a, an Apache airstrike called in <laughs> using your secret agent clearance. 
<laughs> Either way, I look forward to hearing all about the cryptids in the news segment next Saturday. Yeah. All I can say, Heather, is din 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 And I assure you, exactly, if I needed help, I would have been puffing some red smoke calling in the Apaches. And they're always close by, as we know. Oh, yeah, and I got to do one more letter because I referenced it, Bill, about the recording. So this comes in from Lee, who also doesn't say where they're from. But they say, hello, WJ and KJ. I've been wanting to write for a couple of weeks, but life just keeps getting in the way. But perhaps it's for the best, as I came upon a short video of interest this night that you may find interesting. I also wanted to remark to Kevin, you may lament that you did not see a Bigfoot on your most recent trip up to New England. That may be so, but realize you may not have seen the hairy man but the hairy man definitely saw you. There you go. <laughs> and I did have a feeling at times, Lee, that something was watching us. Yeah, you told me that, Kev. Yep. That's, that's and now sense. Lee writes, yeah, Lee writes, now for the video I stumbled across tonight. I don't know what that sound is. It may be real. It may be fake. I don't know. But if I heard it in the woods, I do know one thing. I would definitely be hoping that I was carrying more gun than I think I needed. Love what you guys are doing, Lee. And it's funny. So I listened to this this recording, Bill. It's a guy out there who's like a mushroom hunter, and he's just talking about the different mushrooms he's seeing. And uh, you get kind of interested in a couple of minutes about what he's talking about, and all of a sudden he hears this sound, and he writes in, I think it's time to go and starts running. Yeah. And yeah. I think he's right, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's time to go. Bye now. Bye. <laughs> I don't blame you. Like that guy who skedaddled when he was filming that swamp ape. Remember that, Kevin? Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. Party's over. Whoa. Time to go. <laughs> but I'll put it up on the website under this episode, Podcast 116. On BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. I'll put up the YouTube video. And you you tell us. You write in and tell us what you think that sound was. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Kevin, All right, Bill. Well, great episode. Good to be back, mm-hmm. even though my voice is fading. But I'm having fun and great accounts tonight. And I loved hearing about the Deacon and those exorcism tales. Yeah, Deacon Walter, boy. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm actually going to call him up later tonight. I got something I want to talk to him about. Uh, but uh, fantastic show. Glad your boots all healed up. And folks, remember, if you find yourself out picking mushrooms, or for that matter, fly fishing, Dinwoody Creek, you better take my advice, my friend. And my advice is this. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.